Welcome, pudding people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. Normally, I would be joined by my co-host, Richard Geiger, but he is out sick, or at least there are those within his household who are sick, and he was making sure that they're getting better, which is somehow more important than superheroes and movies. I will not understand that, but, you know, I'll take his word for it. So I will be instead joined by our web mistress, Rhonda Seymour. Hello, it's nice to be here. She has to say that. She is somehow related to me, I think. <laughs> um, so, like our previous episodes, we're going to go through uh, the history of comic book movies as I define them. While I often think of comic movies as a general grouping that includes comic strips, if I had included that in this particular series, we would never actually get through the list. I would still be somewhere in the 1920s at this point. Hmm. But uh, w the way that I'm going to define it, uh, again, for everyone, is... Uh, any movie based upon a comic book or graphic novel, meaning that it had to exist in that form before the movie, though it did not necessarily have to originate in that form. If it was a novel first, that is just fine, so long as the comic book predated the movie. That also leads to some interesting anomalies, where there is a comic that comes out before the movie, even though they were both designed at the same time. It just happened to beat it out by a month or two. In fact, there will be a couple of those in this particular episode. Um, we will not count anything that existed in a, a movie or audio or any other format before a comic and then became a movie with a comic. So a good example of that would be G.I. Joe had a comic book series, but that was predated by the cartoon, so does not count as a comic book movie in the what, Channing Tatum? Is that who was in the most recent one? See, I'm I, looking at her. She hasn't seen them. This is the I fun part. I have not you, seen that movie, no. I want for the rest of the episode, everyone to just envision the blank stares that are going to come from my co-host. I'm going to incite them from you. <laughs> okay. okay, the now, blank stares and the angry stares. That's the other thing that you're going to get from the other side. Now you're making it sound like I know nothing about comic book movies, no. which is not true. No, no, not at all. I'm, I'm just saying that I put things in such a way that you most understandably look at me funny. You know, it's just the way that I am. People that know me know that that's going to happen. But, <laughs> okay, so that's a generic definition. We will go uh, from there and start where we left off. In our previous episode, we had talked about The Punisher in 1999. 1999? Not really. 1989. That's what I meant. Uh, and then, so we're going to pick up from the last movie in 1989. So let's start right there. We're going to begin with Return of the Swamp Thing in 19, 1989. I'm going to keep doing that. In fact, I'm going to say 1999 for every other movie for the rest of the episode, and you will not notice. You'll just know which year it is. <laughs> um, so this is a sequel. Uh, right. The previous movie came out in 1982. I won't go into the origins of the comic book too much other than say that it was from a 1972 comic origin. Um, pretty simple there. Now, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of reprisal of roles. Uh, Louis Jordan returns as the arcane character. Uh, now, in the first movie, for those that watched it, uh, basically he's a wacky scientist and he likes to do dastardly things and hijinks ensue. Um, for those that don't know the Swamp Thing character, we described it in the previous episode, but needless to say, he's a bunch of, um, I don't know, moss uh, in human form, and he looks, you know, kind of nice if you like gardening. Um, 
So essentially, it's an animated vegetable. That makes sense. Animated vegetables, animated <laughs> vines, animated vegetation. Excellent. I like it. All right. So, um, so Arcane died in the previous movie, but he was resurrected or came back from the dead, or we didn't actually see him die. That part uh -huh. I don't remember entirely. But he comes back and he says, "You know what I did wrong? Um, I wasn't melding people and animals together. That's what I'm going to do this time. And in fact, I need to find a new love interest to do that." which is the character Abby, played by Heather Locklear. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah, so see, there it is. Uh, Heather Locklear. Now, uh, most of the current generation is probably not real familiar with who Le Heather Locklear is, but she is a, a huge part of the 1980s and 1990s in terms of television and movies, and she still does roles all the way through to current. Uh, anybody that originally watched T.J. Hooker, uh, the television show where Melrose Place or Spin City. Um, chips. Don't chi forget Chips. Yep, she was in Chips. I mean, so she had a big impact on pop culture. I mean, people knew who she was. So having her in this particular film was a huge deal. Um, uh, so she played that uh, particular part. Sarah Douglas was also in the movie. Um, now, we have talked a little bit about Sarah Douglas already as she was in the original Superman film for all of a split second and then was in the second Superman film. Now, I shouldn't really say it that way because there were films that predated that. Let's, let's go with the Richard Donner Superman. Let's, let's call it that way. But um, so she has kind of an iconic look. As soon as you see who Sarah Douglas is, you know immediately who uh, you're, you're dealing with because she had such a, a, a very... Um, a very interesting the, the Zod and his and his compatriots had a real unique look in that in that uh, Superman two movie you know with the black boots and oh, the slick back hair and all of that so I didn't uh, I didn't recognize her from the pic from this particular picture but yeah that is her and you were saying that you you know saw her well or at least saw shows that she had been part of over the course of it right right I was looking back. Uh, through the list of her filmography here, and there were several uh, television shows that I recognized, you know, that I knew I had seen that she had been on, and I just didn't recall, like Stargate SG-1 is mentioned here, mm -hmm. and um, she had a voice role on Gargoyles, yeah. which I was uh, into watching for a while, Babylon 5, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, she was very active throughout television and movies, and as far as I know, uh, continued to be so for some time. Um, so the uh, main uh, the main hero, Swamp Thing, was played by Dick Durock. I looked through any of the other roles that he had uh, been involved with that would kind of relate to what we're talking about here. There really wasn't anything that applied, though. Uh, our web mistress did determine that he was from South Bend, Indiana, which is kind of an interesting little tidbit. A fellow Hoosier. Yeah, exactly. So that is something that I missed in my initial uh, scanning for, for little bits of information. So we're not going to go deep into Return of the Swamp thing. It wasn't a, a movie that really had a huge impact at the box office, and it was a, kind of a, a cult uh, following in the film, but, you know, fun if you haven't seen it. Um, so let's go into 1990. This is the 1990s is is where 
some people would argue things start to change. The truthfully is more like 89 because of the, the Tim Burton Batman. But it, that was still, you didn't really start seeing some of the effects of the, the movie houses really seeing. It's like, well, we can make a lot of money with these various uh, comic properties. I, uh, so you started seeing a lot more. And it's it's very much a, a stuttering start. That I, I don't think that a lot of the a lot of the houses knew what to do with them. But we're going to start with uh, in the 1990s. There were four different comic book movies. Uh, we'll begin with the ones that I know the least about, <laughs> and we'll kind of go from there. So let's start with uh, Archie to Riverdale and back again. Now, I seem to remember you had some experiences with some Archie comics when you were younger, so you're pretty familiar with Archie, right? We, my parents used to, you know, buy us comics at the, at the grocery store or whichever store it was, the drugstore. Uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty old, but it uh, wasn't really that long ago. And, you know, they would get us some Disney comics and Archie comics and things like that. Not on a very regular basis. But yeah, we had uh, a nice little stack that we had collected. So the characters of Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica, Moose, mm -hmm. they're all uh, very well known to me, yes. Yes, and, and actually there's been a bit of resurgence with the, the Archie comics, both in the comic side as well as in television. There's a Riverdale television show, mm -hmm. which... Uh, we would get to if we were talking more about television, but probably won't happen on this list as we're not. But um, the original comic was uh, from 1941. Uh, wow. Bob, Bob Montana and Dick Bloom, uh, artist and writer respectively, uh, uh, the original uh, origin. So for those that are not familiar with Archie, it's, it's meant to be kind of... Uh, 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 one of the earlier trials and tribulations of being a teenager going through high school and, and that sort of thing. And, right. Uh, the all-American high school and kids hanging out at the soda shop. Yeah, yeah kind of a, a very uh, Happy Days 50s vibe kind of a comic. Mm -hmm. uh, so you had Archie and Betty and Veronica were always fighting over who got to date him. And uh, Jughead... Uh, was essentially wimpy from Popeye, but hadn't gained the weight from the hamburgers yet. Uh, uh, but Jughead was much cooler, too. Yeah, you could tell from the uh, Burger King crown that he wore constantly. <laughs> uh, Moose was the meathead jock, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, <clears throat> so the avenue that they took with the uh, back, uh, Riverdale and back again is, well, what would happen when they're in their 30s? Oh, really? Yeah. So Archie is um, is about to get married and I believe goes back for a high school reunion or some such. And so uh, Veronica has been traveling in Europe, uh, been married and divorced four times. And, and uh, goodness gracious, <laughs> Betty is in like an abusive relationship or some such. Jughead is like a counselor or something of that lot, you know, but he's also been divorced and now he's afraid of women. It's, it's super weird. Uh, it, it, it's, it's one of the, one of the stranger things that you'll get a chance to see if you go and watch it. Um, the, the Where 
was this movie released? It was a it was a television re- released movie. Okay, that would explain why I remember nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't know it existed before I started researching uh, a lot of this information, and uh, I found all all sorts of tidbits. But uh, Christopher Rich is the lead in in this. Now, as soon as you see this gentleman's face. Uh, there's a good chance you will recognize him. He has been in a ton of stuff. Uh, he was uh, in Boston Legal for a good chunk of time. Uh, there was the uh, Reba McIntosh show, uh, self-named Reba, that he was a part of for the whole series. Um, Wait, McIntosh or McIntyre? McIntyre, yes. See, now you're going to notice that my brains are sliding out of my ears <laughs> as I have been rushing around in too many different places. So I'm probably going to misname things several different times here. Oh, Christopher Rich. Okay, I just pulled him up here. Yes, he was the blonde anchorman Miller Redfield. Exactly. Okay. So he was also in Nash Bridges and Murphy Brown and... Uh, uh, the George Carlin show actually had a big stint in that, which I thought was kind of cool because I love George Carlin. So he he was a, a good good lead for this particular role. I think that was a, a, an interesting and, and good choice. You got uh, Lauren Holly as Betty. Now, Lauren Holly also had some very interesting roles. She was in The, uh, uh, the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story as, oh. as uh, Linda, I believe. Um, yeah, as Linda Lee. Um, she was also in Down Periscope, which is an underrated movie in my, in oh, my mind. Oh, yes. That was very funny. Yeah, as the lone female member of this uh, submarine crew. And that was that was kind of a fun thing. She was had a big run on uh, Picket Fences and Chicago Hope and NCIS. And I very much want to investigate a... Uh, uh, a piece of work that she was in, involved with is probably the most intriguing name for a show or movie that I've run across uh, in my uh, research for anything at this point, and it's called How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. Yeah. I'm not really sure what to make of that. It's either got to be really funny or really bad, and I, and I very much want to see that now. But Interesting. I note that she's also uh, been on Lucifer recently. Ah. Um, you haven't reached that episode yet. No, I don't think I have. I'm, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still in the first season, so I'm so behind in everything. Um, uh, Karen Copens, I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. Uh, as Veronica... Uh, had a kind of a fun bit uh, for those that are uh, Jim Carrey fans and know of his first cinematic appearance was in the movie Once Bitten. She was in that. I saw that. And, uh, you know, so kind of that was the one big thing I saw on her list of appearances that I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Um, uh, and then Sam Whipple as Jughead, uh, who is was just in a ton of stuff up until he died. Um but uh, another another person you may recognize just when you see him. Um, but uh, a lot of small parts in television shows and things like that. But uh, an interesting cast and an interesting idea. I'm not uh, um, I'm not sure it would have been a first thought for me <laughs> to choose for Archie. But then again, the new Riverdale is is a, a very much a different take 
on how uh, the Archie comics would have uh, mm -hmm. been perceived on film anyway. So that is To Riverdale Back Again, which now that I think about it, sounds like a Lord of the Rings <laughs> reference. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the one ring, maybe that had to do with the, the getting married part because I seem to remember at the end of the movie, Christopher Rich does not end up getting married to his fiance because he's more than happy to have Betty and Veronica chasing after him, which is kind of a weird story choice. But anyway, so, um, okay. Then we're going to go to uh, something that is more, um, more, um, visually recognizable at least in current day comic book movies we're going to talk about captain america just not the one you're familiar with what yeah so in 1990 uh they made a captain america movie it's the third time they made a captain america type thing third or fourth i'm starting to lose count because they had a lot of them um and this one had um matt salinger as captain america um, he had several other roles other than this particular film, but again, nothing that really kind of was noteworthy in regards to what we're um, researching and going through here, and really not much else that I've actually seen. Um, hmm. You've got the one really interesting uh, casting choice in this. Well, there's actually two. It's, it's, it's got a better cast than you would expect. Um, it had Ned Beatty in it, which... It's hard not to uh, love Ned Beatty. In fact, he's been on our list already as he was involved with the Superman television shows. Oh. Um, or television shows. See? The Brains movies? out of ears. The movies. Exactly. The Christopher Reeve yeah, movies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, um, at least that seems to be what I remember. But again, brains sliding out of ears. Um, but uh, you've got Ronnie Cox. Um Ronnie Cox has been in so much stuff. Um, as soon as you see this guy's, uh, as soon as you see this guy's name, uh, or not his name, if you see his name, it doesn't mean anything. If you see his face, you recognize him immediately. If Richard were sitting here with me right now, he would talk immediately about RoboCop <laughs> because that's what he remembers. Oh, okay. From him, I mean, we've we've talked about RoboCop multiple times and how. Uh, you, uh, how good uh, a Ronnie Cox did in that role, but he kind of had a similar role in a lot of other films. Wait, as RoboCop himself? No. No. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I, I recognize his picture, no. but I do not think that he, he was... He was like one of the suits for the company. Okay, okay. That, that, that makes sense. And you know what? In Total Recall... He played basically the same character. <laughs> but uh, one of the ones that I actually remember him most from, he was in the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. So he was in uh, all three of them, if I remember correctly. He was at least in the first two. I'm pretty sure he's in the third one, too. Uh, because he, uh, he, you know, he was, the, he was basically the Lieutenant Bogomil was his character in that. And he got shot in the second one. And that's the whole reason that uh, Foley came back. And then I think he was still involved in the third one somehow. Uh, but he also did voice work for the Spawn television series. Oh. Um, he was also on Stargate SG-1. Uh, yes. A, had a recurring character that was that you you really loved to just hate. <laughs> it's It was kind of a fun thing. Um, and for those of us that are kind of... Um, kind of geeky he had a very small role on 
uh, Star Trek too. Um, oh, right. He played the uh, captain that took over the Enterprise yes. uh, briefly as Picard had to go on an undercover mission because in a large intergalactic empire of peacekeepers, <laughs> you send the captain of your flagship out on a black ops mission with your doctor. Sure, why not? Okay. Uh, but he's always so much fun to watch, and I have to imagine that he was really good in this. I still actually haven't seen this movie. I've, I've wanted to. I know the plot synopsis. Most of it, if you've seen the more recent Captain America movie, it follows most of the points. I mean, it changes some things because it's older, uh, and sometimes inexplicably because the Red Skull's name is different for no particularly good reason. I'm not sure why they did that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, okay, he still gets frozen in ice. He still gets woken up, doesn't know where he is. I mean, it's the same, oh. same shtick. Okay. Um, so, but unfortunately they didn't have the same kind of CGI and the same mm. kind of stuff. So I, I have a feeling that it couldn't. It didn't really take off. Yeah. And it's not, again, not a fault for casting because it's, it's mm -hmm. good cast. And the snippets that I have seen with Salinger in it, he wasn't bad. Uh, it, he actually was pretty decent. Um, but, you know, I can't really give a, a full uh, account because I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, but uh, so uh, we'll kind of leave that on the floor and go to something that we also have not seen <laughs> before we finally get to something that we get to make a, a more of a comment on. Uh, also in 1990, we have to remember that there are more comic book sources than Marvel, DC, and occasionally something like Archie. There is uh, going to be uh, some more out there stuff. In 1990, there was a movie uh, called Hardware. Now, Hardway, Hardware, Hardware. Say it a few times, and I'll start uh, sounding normal, I swear. Um, Hardware was uh, the name of the character that was actually introduced in a Judge Dredd comic uh, in oh, really? 1981. Yeah, uh, Judge Dredd annual. Uh, Kevin O'Neill and Steve McManus were involved with that particular uh, unit. Now, so this kind of a story is going to kind of come from a completely different area. And from what I remember, the general synopsis is... Um, dead soldier reanimates as a robot in his girlfriend's apartment or some such it's just something really weird why does his girlfriend have a robot in her apartment she didn't <laughs> <laughs> he pieces himself together if i remember correctly it's i've seen snippets and uh, again just bits and pieces and i've i've read the plot synopsis at one point but it's been a while um, now, the one thing to remember, though, this is another instance where they were willing to put a really interesting cast into this because they they got uh, Dylan McDermott as the, the lead on it, if I remember correctly, he's the lead. Um, but he is known uh, for being in the practice and Olympus Has Fallen and uh, the more recent American Horror Story. Uh, so if you see him, I guarantee you, you will recognize who Steve McDermott is. Um, I know I recognize the name. Yeah, you look it up and you tell me here in a minute. Um, for music fans, as uh, Richard and myself are, they have two different musicians in this particular film uh, not performing uh, music, but instead acting. Uh, you've got Iggy Pop in a role, but you also have um, uh, Lemmy from Motorhead 
So, I mean, it's, it's got kind of a weird casting choice in that way. Um, on top of that, you've got, I believe, as the love interest, uh, Stacy Travis, who was in one of her earlier films, uh, was in Phantasm 2, which, as a sequel goes, a sequel to a really cheesy horror movie, it was a really cheesy sequel to the really cheesy horror movie. And if I remember correctly, the scene that she was, well, she was in more than one scene. She was through the whole film, if I remember correctly. But uh, uh, there is a really strange scene that she's involved with that will sear into my mind that I won't describe because of the individual sitting across from me and I don't want to be okay. slapped or stared at strangely. But uh, she went on to be in some other comic-related stuff, too. She was in Ghost World and Art School Confidential. Um, one other interesting casting choice that was in this film was a, a gentleman named William Hootkins, who was also in, like, Batman and a bunch of other stuff. Look up the name William Hootkins. You'll go, who is that? But you'll be surprised at the number of comic book movies he's involved with. I was looking up Dylan McDermott. Um Whose name I know I recognize, but I'm not recognizing the face. Picture is not really ringing bells. Oh well. well All right, what's the other name? Uh, William Hookins. Yeah, it, he's a uh, uh, he's a larger gentleman, um, in 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 the way that he's always presented. So uh, what I mean by that, if I remember correctly, he's always in like a really nice suit and like a top hat. At least that's the way I always remember him. But uh, that could be my yeah. memory playing tricks. But you kind of see him. It's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of in the background in Batman. I think he's in the background in Superman. And, oh. You know, bits and pieces. I think he's even in Supergirl. He was Porkins. <laughs> he's Porkins in uh, the original Star Wars movie. Yep. <laughs> so I think the the geeky wonderfulness of wanting to put him in other stuff is uh is is uh is a good thing just seeing that seed into other different projects and he always does well. Um so kind of wow. fun. I will eventually see this I'm sure and throw popcorn at the screen when I do. <laughs> um Mystery Science 3000 style. Oh, most certainly. Okay, so let's move on to something we've actually seen. Um in 1990, a huge, uh, a huge film project came to light based on a comic book that most people didn't know, but a, a cartoon series that everybody loved that watched the cartoons in that age, and that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Turtles! Yeah, it was, it was a huge sensation. Men in bodysuits where their lips moved and almost matched the, the speech that was on the screen. It was the best that we had seen up to that it point. It certainly was. It was... Pretty astounding. Uh, the comic was originally created in 1984. Uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird uh, were involved with that. Now, the comic was originally a black and white comic book before it became, you know, color. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you hadn't actually seen the comic book before. Um, I saw, not too long ago, I saw an example. I don't know if it was on the web or if it was something that I ran across in a library or maybe in the the old um you know the older comics bins in the comic book shop or something but yeah i i had i did see that it was originally black and white which surprised me yeah. because i was not used to that idea well the original comic uh as it was translated into the cartoon and the movie 
pretty different. It's a lot darker in the uh, mm-hmm. in the comic version and a lot more serious. Which, admittedly, how serious can you take giant talking turtles doing ninjutsu and you can flips? take any fantasy or science fiction story seriously if you just put yourself in the right frame of mind. I, mean, I guess that's true. You know, watership down, a bunch of rabbits wanting to trample each other, trying to escape death. Sure. Um, okay. I will go get that book <laughs> from upstairs and throw it at you. <laughs> no, no, I will go and get the VHS tape of it that I have in its nice clamshell case with the hard and sharp corners and throw that at you. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's such a, a, a wonderfully uh, uplifting story to show a, a 10-year-old child. <laughs> um, so anyway, you've got uh, Judith Hogue as April O'Neill. Uh, now, this is, this is the, the April that we are introduced to, but not the one that stays April through the films. There's some, some casting changes. In fact, there's a lot of casting changes that happen between the different films. But uh, Judith Hogue is maybe more identifiable nowadays from her work on Nashville and the show The Magicians. Um, but she's, she's been active kind of ever since. And I always thought, cool. I, I kind of liked her as April a little bit better than the, the replacement. Mm-hmm. Not that I disliked the replacement, but... She I, was the first one. She was the first one. And I hate it when they change actors for roles yeah. in the same iteration of movies. It just drives me crazy. I know it has to happen sometimes, but... Ugh. It's jarring. Yeah. So uh, Elias Coteas is Casey Jones, who I really happen to enjoy in that film. He certainly was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have your little crush on him, and <laughs> understandably so. Uh, but he has also maintained a, a pretty uh, high-profile career. He's, uh, if you ever saw the movie Shooter, he was in that. Um, Combat Hospital is one that stood out to me. I kind of want to go see that now. I've never seen it as a television show. It sounds like a really bad title for a cheesy show i'm curious hmm. but he's also uh chicago pd uh is, is one of the big things that he's been involved with he's he's stayed very very active now not everyone knows this but while three of the four turtles had voice actors that were voice actors kind of primarily um the one of them donatello was actually voiced by cory feldman now cory feldman has his early career was just fire. He was in so much stuff between the Goonies and uh, the Goonies. Uh, Stand by me. Yes, that's it. So, <laughs> no, he he actually had so many good uh, films in his early career, and he's uh, uh, the the vampire uh, movie that he was in was so good. Um, I'm having I'm having a mental breakdown with uh, the name of that particular one, but a vampire movie. Oh yeah, you can't. It's 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 a it's a classic. Um, um, Lost Boys. Oh. So um, so yeah, it, it he he is he is iconic in terms of '80s movies. Now he's been active. He's uh, been working, I believe, uh, music career more more recently, um, but. Uh, Forever, he will be that 80s actor in my mind. Um, now, Splinter uh, is an interesting uh, voice, voicing choice, uh, was done by Kevin Clash. Are you familiar with who Kevin Clash is? I, you, you know what? I heard you telling 
someone <laughs> who that was the other night while I think I was working on the website. Um, and so I was not focused exactly on remembering Kevin Clack. Oh, right. Yes. Now I remember. I remember hearing. Uh, go ahead. Yep. I know you want to say it. Well, yeah. He, he's Elmo. Elmo loves turtles. Um, but uh, he, uh, <laughs> it's not what you would expect. It's a pretty drastic difference in voices. So not a connection that a lot of people would necessarily make. Now, the other kind of fun thing uh, in terms of casting, uh, a young Sam Rockwell was a head thug in, uh, in the original Turtles movie. So all in all, a very interesting choice of individuals and a fun cast that gelled together. You had the voice actors for the, the ones that are in the outfits, and then you had the body actors that did the martial arts, who I have a great deal of pity for having to, to oh. be in the full body suits. That can't have been pleasant. Yeah. You know, we hear all the time in the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, in movies, people who have to wear the enormously uncomfortable suits with the huge heads it it must be extremely challenging to work in uh, that field where you you know are a specialist in uh, <laughs> suit acting I guess yeah, let's call we'll it call, we'll call it suit acting I, I think that works for me um, so the the plot for those that are not familiar with the Ninja Turtles and I don't see how you can't be because they have been everywhere for 20 years but uh, so turtles encounter radiation and in comic book logic. Uh, Industrial waste, wasn't it? It was still radioactive ooze. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in comic book fashion, instead of killing them or causing cancer, it creates a superhero. It mutates it them. It mutates them and they become uh, larger and smarter along with the, uh, the, the rat that instructs them. And the rat watched uh, a nearby martial artist and just from watching him was able to learn the secrets of, uh, uh, of those martial arts. Now, did he do this after the mutation? No, he was still a, just a regular rat <laughs> when he learned that. But So what are we going to do? If we're going to be martial artists and turtles, we're going to fight crime. That's right. Absolutely. And then, of course, the Shredder. The... Well, they have to live in the city, too, you know. Uh, sure. Now, you remember what the uh, organization of uh, ninjas that the Shredder led was called, right? The Foot. That's right. The Foot Clan. That's right. You know why they were called that, right? I don't recall right now. It's kind of an homage. Uh, they were, they yeah. were meant to resemble... The ninja organization in Marvel Comics called the Hand. Oh, <laughs> yes. So, so it, it, it's kind of a fun little thing, and most people already know that, but it still makes me giggle when I think about it. Um, so, all in all, a fun film. If you haven't seen it, the plot is pretty straightforward. They encounter these these uh, these awful, awful ninjas and thwart the plan. There's there's not much to the plot. They're and, they're trying to corral. Or, or not corral, but to lure in the city's homeless children to help support the evil organization by yeah. turning them towards a life of crime and eventually uh, having them uh, 
grow up in the ranks and become loyal foot soldiers. <laughs> yep. And and of course they do get help from the Casey Jones character who proves that you uh, can learn to fight with any sort of sporting weapon and cause just as much damage as the sport actually causes. So, <laughs> hey, those hockey sticks are no joke. Yeah, it's not not you're not kidding. Of course, the uh, cricket bat that he uses that that particular scene. Oh, uh, I love that scene. Yes, pretty pretty fun. But okay, <laughs> cricket is still a sport I don't quite get, but enjoy watching whenever I get the the chance. I remember I understood it for about five minutes in PE back mm. in elementary school. That sounds about right. <laughs> so that's pretty much 1990 in a nutshell. There were no other comic book movies in that period. But uh, moving on to 1991, there were three different comic book movies in 1991. Now I'm going to start with one of our exceptions that I was talking about, uh, a film by the name of Dollman. Now, Dollman was created in conjunction with a comic book, but the comic book actually released two months before the film did. Hmm. So, because it existed first, then it's technically a comic book movie in my mind. Um, Mark Campos and Bill Spangler uh, worked on the comic book. Um, this is an odd film, if you've never seen it. Um, so the whole concept, Dollman, is actually an intergalactic law enforcement officer. and what? Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, he uh, is the best. In fact, he's got this gun that's the most powerful gun in, in the universe. And there's something on Earth that he has to take care of, you know, because heroes have to go everywhere. But the problem is, when he comes to Earth, he's actually only 12 inches tall on Earth. Oh. Hence the name. Hence the name. Dollman. <laughs> um, so... Uh, it's it's wacky. I mean, it's it's B movie at at its. I'm not going to say it's at its finest, but it's very enjoyable if you enjoy a B movie. It's okay. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Tim Thomerson was the lead, uh, and he is, has been in a bunch of films. I'm not even going to try and list it. The number of projects this guy has been involved with is just staggering. Hmm. Um, the uh, one of the other interesting things, though, uh, Jackie Earl Haley was involved with this particular project. Now, Jackie Earl Haley is a name that people who are um, fans of comic book movies will definitely recognize because he was Rorschach in The Watchmen. But he has also been in the 2014 adaptation of Robocop in The Preacher, Dark Tower, and the current Tick uh, television show. He was Freddy in the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street. But the thing that kind of tickles my funny bone the most is he was in the original Bad News Bears in 1976. Oh. So, I mean, he's got a very uh, unique appearance. You can't miss him when you see him. He's I, I, I think he's always good in pretty much anything that he's uh, been involved with. I've, I've enjoyed his uh, enjoyed his work greatly. Now, I'm not really familiar with most of the other cast that's been involved with this. And while I have seen this movie, it was, again, a very long time ago and I don't own it. And I had have not watched it in a, in a short enough time period that I can really go over the entire plot. But right. suffice it to say, it's it's worth a watch if you've got uh, you know a couple hours to kill and just like seeing some silly fun. Um, so... Uh, did you watch the original Bad News Bears? I seem to remember that one. No. No, no actually, I really haven't. 
you know, that's something that I, I really want to watch, uh, want to watch again. I want to watch that along with the, the more recent remake and just kind of see the side by side because there's some, some pretty fun differences, the, the, the slight different directions they took. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, okay. So I'm going to instead now go to one that I happened to expect was probably one that Rhonda enjoyed more than I did and may have a better memory of than I do, and that's The uh, Rocketeer in 1991. Oh, I wasn't expecting you to go to that yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm jumping to that one. We're going to end with okay. the other one instead. Uh, so Yes, I did enjoy The Rocketeer. I kind of thought you would. Now, Dan Stevens was uh, the originator of the comic in 1982 as, as, as a send-up to the golden age of comic books. Uh, at least that's as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, now... Am I remembering correctly that the whole concept is that there's like a theft of a jetpack from Howard Hughes. And during the theft, there's a chase and it has to get stowed away in somebody's car. And then it ends up in the protagonist's like barn or something. It, it has been a while since I saw it. Um, but that sounds basically correct. He finds it. And then he uses it to save a pilot during an air show. And yeah, he's he, caught he on has film to come or something. up with the helmet. Um, and there's something about the way the shape of the helmet and the fin on the top helps him, like, direct which way yeah. he's going. Something like that. And the whole thing is there's there's Nazi infiltrators and they want the plans to the jetpacks because they're going to have a whole army of jetpack soldiers. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it when was I'm, that kooky sort of World War II type plot. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Steven, or David Stevens, my brain's turning off again. Uh, we talked about him. Uh, Joe Johnston uh, directed this particular film. I usually don't talk about the directors on some of these earlier films, but I have to bring this one up just because he was also involved with Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, which I thought was kind of fun. Oh, so, in directing? Yeah. Huh. So it's kind of, uh, you can kind of see that, that shiny... Uh, vision of the past kind of feel. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely carries over, and he, he was a good choice for that. Now, Billy Campbell was uh, the lead in this particular film. Yes, and he a, was. A lot of people might have known him from his work in Dynasty because he had a pretty long stint in that. But he was also involved in Crime Story and The Killing and Helix and uh, Cardinal, uh, all these TV shows. I mean, he's a big kind of uh, TV show uh, actor. Uh, so he's got a lot of credits that kind of go along that lines, and he's very recognizable, and he was very likable in the movie. I seem to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very clean cut. Very. Oh. What do I want to say? That same sort of all American just wants to do his best, and you yeah. know, protect protect the country, protect his girl, protect his family. Do the right thing. Yeah, you definitely kind of epitomize that. Now, the reason that I liked the film was less for him and more for Jennifer Connelly, who I like in about everything. Now, now Jennifer Connelly is in one of Rhonda's favorite films of all time, 
It certainly uh, makes the top, I don't know, maybe top 50. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly where on the scale it falls. I've got a lot of movies that I like. Well, that's but, true. But I've know. seen you watch this one on many, many occasions. I, I do enjoy getting it out and watching it, yes. Uh, we're leaving you in suspense. In case you didn't know, we're talking about Labyrinth. Labyrinth, yes. Yeah, so... Uh, now, she was also in a, in a film that uh, is kind of a cult classic that I liked uh, called Dark City. It's just fantastic science fiction. Oh, kind of, yes, I remember watching that with you. Yeah, like uh, it, was, it was The Matrix before The Matrix. It mm. didn't get as much hype as The Matrix did, but it, it was really kind of spooky in its own way when you thought about it as a fantastic oh, film. Oh, yeah, very trippy. Um, and, of course, she was in the 2003 Hulk. Um, she, uh, she was also in Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, I heard you mention that to Richard, too. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't too loud of an exclamation. <laughs> That's right. Nobody really needs their hearing for extended periods. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she, she was uh, the voice of the suit. Um, shoot. What did, uh, what did Peter end up calling her? Not Friday. Friday is uh, Tony's new AI. Um, well, he, didn't he name it after? He was going to name it after as a... The, the girlfriend, the prospective girlfriend, anyway. Uh, mm, yeah, but he changed his mind. He change Karen? Mind. Yeah, that might have been it. Is yeah. it Karen? It doesn't really I... matter. Uh, as as you get older, your uh, your recollection fails. But uh, <laughs> well, it's also been several months since we saw Spider Man. Push Now uh, Jennifer Connelly's actually got a couple big things coming out here soon. Uh, she's going to be in Elite Battle Angel. Oh, um, cool. Which Several people, myself included, have a strong suspicion will probably bomb. Oh, but well, that's not so cool. But. No, no. Uh, I'm hoping it doesn't because I, I like anime. I, I, my only real hope is that it's actually a good interpretation of it. It's, it's really hard sometimes to take anime and make it into a feature film. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed. But she's also going to be involved in the Top Gun sequel that's coming out. So that'll be kind of fun. Uh, Alan Arkin is in this, which is just awesome. Uh, John Polito, who is in The Crow, is uh, also in The Rocketeer. Um, and, and The Crow, he is the uh, the uh, owner of the of the um, the store where all the criminals sell their stuff. Oh, um, oh okay. So again, very very. Uh, you see the guy and you usually immediately recognize him. Clint Howard has a role within the Rocketeer. Um, just kind of awesome there. And of course, James Bond is in it. One of the James Bonds. Anyway. Oh yeah. Timothy Dalton. Yeah. So that was that the the cast on the Rocketeer was just ridiculous. It it was a really good uh, cast. They all did a really good job acting. I mean, I think that maybe just because of the kind of, I don't know if cheesy or hokey is exactly the the way to describe it, you know, with the, the Nazi plot. I think maybe it gets a bad rap for that. But yeah, it, it is definitely It was cheesy. an enjoyable adventure. So, and Jennifer Connelly was Karen. It was Karen. Lady, oh, yes. okay, that's great. <laughs> All right, so we're going to finish. Uh, after the high point of talking about the Rocketeer, we will go to a low point to finish 1991. <laughs> um, 
we get uh, after the hope and the wonder and the excitement of having our first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in 1990 and realizing that you could have a movie like that, they released uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret, Secret of, of the Ooze, in 91, which was not nearly as good. Um, now, like I said, a lot of the, lot of the actors did not reprise their roles. Um, so... Uh, one that did was uh, Kevin Clash was back as Splinter. Right. But uh, Paige uh, Turco takes over as April O'Neil. Uh, now, she's been in, oh, in quite a few things. Um, she was in Invincible, which I really enjoy. And I, I kind of feel like I kick myself for enjoying that film. But it's I always like that film quite a bit. Uh, she was also in The Game Plan and is in The Hundred. You've got... Uh, David Warner, who has uh, uh, been in so many different things. I mean, this this guy is just in a, in a ton of films, and you recognize him. He is as a scientist in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. But what I always remember him from is Tron. Tron, yes. Uh, I mean, you can't can't miss. Uh, he is he was iconic in that role, and. and Truthfully, to be fair, I, I, Tron was my second thing. The thing I actually remember him from more, he was in Star Trek IV uh, as one of the Klingons. And oh, yes. I really, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't last real long into that film, but he made an impression on me. Uh, and he's always fun to see in pretty much anything that he's in. Um, he was fun to watch as the scientist in TMNT2. Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of a, a high point. Uh, now, I did know it at the time that I watched the film because uh, he wasn't as big as, as he was going to become. But uh, when the Shredder becomes mutated and becomes Super Shredder, the gentleman they got to actually play that role was Kevin Nash, uh, a oh, wrestler. seriously? Mm-hmm, absolutely. You had to have somebody that was tall and muscular and intimidating, and that's definitely he, something you could do. Oh, yeah. He is that. Um, so that was kind of fun, but uh, uh, as much as a high point uh, having David Warner in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 was, the real high point for me was Ernie Reyes Jr. He is one of my favorite uh, action actors. I mean, he's not maybe as big a name as a lot of people would expect, but he kind of he had me from the very beginning that I saw him in The Last Dragon when he was just a little kid, but you know, he, he was... He was uh, you know, what, 20s, I think, at the point that he was in this particular film. Probably. And the dude is seriously skilled. The speed that he has, the control that he has, it's really a joy watching. Now, he was in uh, The Rundown, if you've uh, seen that, with The Rock, and he had a small role in that. Uh, he's uh, He's been kind of uh, in, for, for, for 80s people, maybe more remembered for, like, Surf Ninjas. But uh, Yeah, I remember that. I, I didn't enjoy those films, so I kind of blocked <laughs> them from my memory a little bit. Um, so that's the high point. Uh, the downside uh, would be, uh, Richard would disagree with me on this, but the downside is that Vanilla Ice was involved in any way with the film. Um, yeah, he he definitely enjoyed uh, that little snippet. I did not. It's not that I dislike the Vanilla Ice individual, but it's, again, kind of one of those instances where I, I, I want to kick myself. You know, I liked that at one point. I didn't realize what real rap was. <laughs> <laughs> that was not it. Uh, but uh, so, uh, and it was just so cheesy and just poorly written throughout the entire film. Well, uh, it definitely wasn't as good as the first one. 
though there were kind of fun bits, you know. Oh, yeah. In order for Ernie Reyes to be able to become one of the foot, he has to pass this test. You're going to take as many bells off of this dummy as you can without making sound, and we're going to throw the little, the little smoke pellet, and then one of the turtles goes in and takes all of them off and puts you know, like a hundred bells in his arms as he's standing there. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of silly. Uh, but, you know, there are two iconic villains from the Turtles that that uh, is basically a warthog and a rhinoceros. Bebop and Rocksteady. Bebop and Rocksteady. Did they choose them? No. Razor and something else that I don't even remember. Taka? Taka, yeah. That, Taka and Razor. Yeah. It looked like if somebody put the puppets from uh, The Dark Crystal <laughs> into an action movie. That's about how they moved. It was just, it was childlike. It was terrible. Well, I mean, they were technically supposed to be okay. like. Let me rephrase. Not that they looked oh, childlike. Oh, you mean that it was like. Aimed at a kid's. A kid had done it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, uh, maybe not a great way to have a sequel, but at least it couldn't get worse. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on this, uh, to 19, <laughs> 1992. Uh, and this is the year that we're going to end up with. Uh, we've got five different comic book movies that came out in 1992. Oh, as many as that. Absolutely. Uh, things start really picking up. It's... it's, uh, it's uh, it's rather interesting the almost geometric curve that happens with the number of comic movies that come out. Uh, I want to end on a high note, so I'm going to start start with stuff that most people may not have seen. Okay. Um, uh, the one that is most likely not have been seen by nearly anybody is a television movie called The Bogeyman. Hmm. Now, The Bogeyman um, was based off of a comic of the same name by Robin Smith. John Wagner and Alan Grant in 1989. So here's the whole concept of the bogeyman. Okay. There is a gentleman in a psychiatric hospital that uh, believes that he is all of the characters that uh, Humphrey Bogart played in his movies kind of smashed into one. Wow. <laughs> so he's going to try and solve a murder that he thinks has happened. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of interesting. Now the best part about this and this now again, you got to take this with a small grain of salt because I'm going off of memory. It's been a while since I've seen this. Um, uh, this was uh, led by Robbie Coltrane, Hagrid. Oh. So yeah, so kind of a fun Sorry, early casting. Um, huh. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. It actually also has the comedian and late night former late night talk show host Craig Ferguson in it. In a, in a role as well. So that's that's kind of fun. Now, I don't remember much about the plot, and a lot of the other casting didn't ring any bells to me when I was looking at it, but those are two kind of, if nothing else, maybe worth a look just for those two gentlemen and huh. and, and kind of an interesting plot idea for the, for the film. Um, so Robbie Coltrane, what part was his? He was the he lead. He was the bogeyman? Oh, yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Goodness gracious. Yeah, if you if you get a chance to see the image, it's a very young Robbie Coltrane, hmm. um, or at least he looked very young to me. Um, so we'll go to another exception from this one. I'm not going to stay on on the Bogeyman because again, right. there's not much there, uh, and this one will also be pretty quick. 
um, we're going to go with a movie called Dr. Giggles in 1992. Now, Dr. Giggles is a horror movie. Uh, the, uh, the comic book and the movie, again, were made at the same time, but the comic book beat the movie out by three months. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Alan Burroughs and uh, Manny Cotto? Cotto. I'm not 100% sure of the pronunciation on that one. And it was a dark horse or image. I'm trying to remember one of the two uh, that released that particular uh, comic book for purposes of being tied to the movie. So, Dr. Giggles. The main character of this film is the son of a mass murdering... Uh, <laughs> small town doctor that uh, uh, escapes uh, an institution to come back to the town where his uh, father originally did all the killings and he was stopped and he's kind of mad so he starts a dental practice. Uh, he, he was mad that his father was stopped, was stopped yeah. from killing people? Yeah, pretty much, if, if, if memory serves. And so he goes on his own killing spree uh, in some most outrageous not quite saw level of outrageous but kind of ridiculous uh uh killing uh spree it's 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 a horror movie it's a horror movie yeah i think i'm glad i've never heard of that one yeah uh larry drake is the lead on that he has been involved in uh, uh the mo- the movie that most people at least for me would know him from was dark man uh another kind of comic related uh, or superhero related film uh, you also have uh, Holly Marie Combs as the other notable individual in uh, Dr. Giggles, at least for me. Uh, for those that uh, think that it sounds familiar, if you ever saw the show Charmed, she was one of the three sisters in Charmed. Um, so, um, you know, again, not much worth going over. And like I said, it's just kind of barely comes in as a comic book movie. Right. But, you know, worth mentioning. So... Um, the third option I'm going to go to, third option, the third movie, um, there uh, in 1992 came out a Western called Two-Fisted Tales. And hmm. it's actually a series of stories, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a series of stories. Um, now, Two-Fisted Tales was a DC comic that came out in 1950 by Harvey Kurtzman and William Gaines. Um it's, like I said, it's just kind of a series of stories like uh, Tales from the Crypt, but a Western. But uh, it was a movie. But it was a movie. So it was a, it, So if you're not familiar with Tales of the Crypt, I didn't talk to you about this. Tales of the Crypt, when it came out in films, was actually a series of three self-contained stories that, when you watched it, were separated, um, not by intermission, but it felt like an intermission between, and they had okay. nothing to do with each other. So, you know, you would get the Crypt Keeper come out, ah, you know, and he'd preface whatever the story was. The story's over. He'd make a joke about how the person died in the previous story <laughs> and prep the next one. Now, there, there was no Crypt Keeper for Two-Fisted Tales. It's just kind of a series of, of self-contained stories. Huh. But they're all Western. Um, so you've got uh, um, Richard Donner, actually. There, there were three um, directors for each of the... Uh, uh, one director for each of the stories. Richard Donner, who did Superman. You had Tom Holland uh, do another one. And Robert Zemeckis directed the third of the stories within I this. I take it that this is a different Tom Holland than... Yes, no. <laughs> no. Because uh, he would have been like... Two? 
Yeah, probably. I don't know exactly how old our Spider-Man Tom Holland is, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have been way too young. Now, this is where I'm going to falter a little bit because uh, I never saw this and I didn't even know that it was a comic book movie when it came out originally because it's a Western. What what comic book Westerns at that time would I have ever known? Uh, you know, live and learn. But this is another one that had just a ridiculous cast in it. Um, you had Dan Aykroyd, Kirk Douglas, Brad Pitt. I see that. Um, David Morse, who you would recognize from Hurt Locker and Green Mile. Uh, he was the the father in Contact that she's trying that uh, is trying to be uh, uh, ah. uh, well that died and that right. know, the main character thinks that the she's one died. that she sees that the the alien that she sees yeah. puts the seeming of him on yeah yeah and then of course the big one for me is William Sadler which most people will know from Shawshank Redemption but does have other big things that he's been in like uh, Die Hard 2 he was I think the main either the main villain or one of the main villains in that uh, he was death in Bill and Ted's <laughs> so that's kind of a an odd billing uh, huh. casting but of course he is the president in Iron Man 3 and oh, Shield. Yeah. So I mean, I love seeing him in anything. He had my well maybe maybe not my favorite part, but one of my top just couple of parts in Deep Space 9 as the the agent from Section 31. Oh, he was so good. Um but uh yeah, I I would that is one individual if I ever get a chance to I would love to track down and talk to. Um, well, William Sadler is just one of my favorites. So I'm going to have to go back and watch this at some point. All right, so we got two more in 1992. Uh, one that I know for certain we've both watched, and we're going to end on that one. And one that uh, I know for certain she has not watched. No, I have not seen this. Uh, so uh, Dr. Mordred in 1992. This is a strange duck. Um, a lot of people will not recognize this particular name. Now, the reason being is that Dr. Mordred was not originally going to be the name of this movie. It was originally going to be Dr. Strange, but they oh. lost they lost the rights before they finished producing the film or getting it ready or something like that. So they had to, well, they already had everything, so they said, well, let's just pledge some let's things. Let's just change the names. Absolutely. To protect the innocent. Now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, Doctor Strange was a creation of Steve Ditko and Stan Lee in 1963. Um, but the best part about this particular one, going from one person I love in Deep Space Nine to another person I love in Deep Space Nine, is Jeffrey Combs. Now, he was he was the the, the lead uh, in this particular film, but most people know him as the lead in the 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 cult horror movie Reanimator. But for me, he will always be, uh, uh, he'll always be Wayun or Brunt the uh, Ferengi. Oh, that's who he is. <laughs> okay. And they liked him enough that when they did Star Trek Enterprise, they brought him back as a character named Shran in Star Trek Enterprise. Oh my goodness. And truthfully, I only mentioned two of the characters he was in Deep Space Nine. Technically, he was four. Four? Yes. Now, one of them was only in a single episode. It was kind of uh, uh, it was it was the episode where uh, Captain Sisko uh, imagines that he is uh, 
uh, transported back to Earth in the past, and he's actually a writer. Oh, yeah. So everybody gets to be a different character in that. Uh-huh. But he also has kind of a small walk-on part uh, as a character named Tyrod, as again, in like a single episode. Huh. So it's 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 kind of it's kind of fun seeing that he gets to be all over the place in that. Yeah. Um, but he's done uh, and interesting enough, he did the voice uh, of the question in Justice League Unlimited. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's involved with the forty four hundred and Doom Patrol, just all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, uh, Jay Akavani, uh, again, I know I'm just massacring names here, uh, was also in this. Another individual that I really, really enjoy seeing in things. Uh, he was in the Beauty and the Beast television show. Uh, he was also in Independence Day as like one of the guards. But for me, he's always one of the first characters in Stargate SG-1. Uh, uh, Sergeant, sergeants? Lieutenants? Something Kowalski. All I remember is Kowalski because I like him so much and he gets killed off so early in that show. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It that was one of those things where it just it's it's I want to see him more and he he uh he did not last in that show. They did come back for an episode or two later in the season or not in the season but in the in the series. Okay. Um, now the other kind of notable name, at least for me, uh, uh, in Doctor Mildred is Brian Thompson. Another individual when you look at this dude's face, you just kind of recognize him immediately because he's been in everything. Um, uh, think of think of kind of a Dolph Lundgren look if you're not really kind of familiar with it. But uh, he was in uh, he's he's guested on just tons of shows, including Deep Space Nine, which he was on twice. He was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer twice uh, as two different characters. Oh, okay. Yes, he was the judge. Yes, and... he was. He was uh, one of the the first vampire. Right. Or... The one of the. One of the masters uh, minions. minions in the beginning, in yeah. season one. But he was also in the very brief Kindred the Embrace TV show as uh, the Bruja Primogen, I oh think. Oh my God, I'd forgotten all about that. And uh, Fright Night 2. Uh, I love the Fright Night series, the original. And I still have this in my mind of them in the bowling alley. And he's got the two severed heads in his hand. and <laughs> Bowling, bowling with him. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. He was even in Chuck in, in a fun little episode that that was there. So yeah, huh. movie was not exactly what I would call remarkable. Uh, <laughs> the the plot was kind of generic, um, but I mean, how bad can it be when you've got that cast and and you know Jeffrey Combs? I mean, man, the, for me, anything he touches is just gold. Um, so if you get a chance to see that, it's it's a little cheesy. It's very '90s, but it's it's fun. Um, hmm. So we're going to end on a high note, I think. We're in 1992. We're going to go with another sequel that came out, uh, Batman Returns. Yay! So uh, Michael Keaton, a lot of people's favorite version of uh, the Batman character. Uh, or favorite actor to play Batman, I should say. Um, I I still have very fond memories of his uh, his his version of Batman. He always had kind of that twinkle in his eyes. Yeah, I I enjoyed both of those. Although I gotta say that the first one for a while, well, still today, really 
freaked me out a lot because of how Jack Nicholson portrayed the Joker. Yeah, yeah, he there definitely are, had a good turn. There are some spots when he's like at the plastic surgeon, the the trying to get his underground face fixed. plastic surgeons. Yeah, trying to get his face fixed. That I just. I have to look away from the screen because it's I'm so creeped out by it. See, now I'm kind of different. I thought the second one is so much weirder than the first one. Oh, I didn't say it wasn't weird. But I don't recall the second one striking quite that same feeling of... The Joker just... The Joker scares me. In a way that the penguin never has. Yeah, that's understandable. Uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to, to to quantify the Joker when he's done well, and uh, <laughs> he's 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 a frightening individual. Um, yeah. But you know, Danny DeVito as the penguin, such, oh, he, such a great choice. It, it was it was definitely very different from the way I had always thought myself of the penguin because my previous experience with batman on the screen at all before this was the adam west 1960s show and that of course had burgess meredith as the penguin uh, with his umbrella and his quack quack you know <laughs> it was definitely uh, sillier that's yes for sure. i mean well they all were yeah um so, yeah, this was way 180 degrees difference in... Eating the gory fish. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it's kind of kind of nasty. Um, but, you know, what can you expect with the particular uh, director involved with this? Yeah, yeah. Anytime, Tim Burton. Anytime he touches anything, it's going to be <laughs> weird. And that's why we love him. Um, but, uh, so, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman... That was interesting. I liked aspects of that. I like Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And uh, seeing her come back more recently was kind of nice in another comic book related film. Yeah. But uh, the, the origin story was odd. Yeah. I mean, I had still have some mixed feelings about it. On the one hand... The attitude, yeah, the characterization was very good, I thought. Oh, yeah. She's, in that film, she is a really, really damaged individual. In the comics, depending on which comic, series run whatever you're looking at she's not generally quite that damaged mentally no well and when um, she is damaged just in a very different way yeah but still the sense of she's she's not a villain for villainy's sake. No, she has a very specific purpose in the right. film. Right. Um, and, and that is kind of... 
just the way her character generally is. She's got different reasons, again, depending on what story you're reading for what she does, but it's, it's always that she's not a bad guy just because she enjoys, like I said, the villainy yeah. and, you know, she's either kind of, I guess, neutral towards law, law and order, but she's never unfeeling towards regular people. Yeah. She doesn't cause the same kind of mayhem and uh, damage as the Joker and the Penguin. Truthfully, my, my problem with the, the character portrayal in the film is less about that, which I, I found it was interesting, uh, more about the fact that she gets pushed out the window, goes crazy, and now is an expert combat martial artist and master of the bullwhip. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the nature of the genre. Well, yeah, for but you, you know, stick in like three minutes somewhere. You go, you know, I remember when you got the black belt and the da 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 da. Okay, now we realize she already knew that stuff, there and is... it just came to the fore rather than just magically because I had head trauma. I, I can now do this. That that, that bothered me. A I bit. will not deny that there's some world building that is missing there. But it's forgiven because Christopher Walken is in it and he makes everything better. <laughs> As Shrek, I believe is the name of the character or some some such like yeah, that. Yeah, some that's his last name, yeah. I think. And he, he plays a, a wonderful, awful person in that. Uh Ma- yes. Michael Goh is still Afrid. Afrid. His name is Afrid. <laughs> Um, I, I have a, re- I, I have a reta- I have retainer in my mouth. His name is Alfred. Um, so uh, yeah, he uh, reprises his role from the original film, and then uh, uh, he goes through the entire series as as Alfred. Uh, Pat Hingle is still commissioner. Oh, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, and uh, two kind of interesting things in this film. Um, Jan Hooks is in it now. Most people wouldn't recognize the the name too much. Uh, but she was on Saturday Night Live for a while, uh, quite a funny woman, and I was I was kind of tickled to see her in that particular film because I always liked her. Uh, I always thought she was very energetic in her portrayals of things, and in hmm. this kind of a film that that fits. And then Doug Jones is actually a thug in this particular oh, film. Wow. And for those of you that who don't know who Doug Jones is, he, uh, Doug Jones is, he's been in just a ton of stuff, maybe most known for his uh, uh, role in Hellboy as uh, Abe Sapien. As Abe Sapien. And he was also in the uh, newer Guillermo del Toro uh, The Shape of Water yeah. as the fishman in that. Yeah. So it's it's the Batman Returns plot is kind of convoluted in, in in the way it's portrayed, but still fun. Again, campy. Well, no, you can't really call it campy. Just a little bit. A it's little it's bit starting to border there. on it a yeah. little bit. Just just a touch. I mean, not the later uh, iterations of Batman camp. But no, no, no. But there's a there's a tiny touch of it there. The levity, you know. So, all in all, an interesting start in the early 90s to the films that will uh, will sometimes just be seared into your mind because of 
the how how special they were and sometimes seared into your mind because you can't forget the pain that they caused you when you watch them um, <laughs> but still an important part of the history now in the next episode i expect that richard will be back um, and we will begin in 1993 uh, and i expect it should only take us 30 or 40 more episodes to get <laughs> to the present day but we'll i swear we will eventually get, get there, there. Uh, until that time, if there are any movies that you think that we missed uh, or any other commentary or, uh, you know, as happens, as I mentioned with my brains occasionally coming out my ears, if you notice that I said something incorrect or misremembered a note, let us know. Um, we've got a forums that you can go on on www.everybodylovespudding.com. You can also contact us through Facebook. We are on uh, 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 Pudding Guys at Pudding Guys on uh, Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Tell us some of your stories. What you remember of these films? What what uh, resonates with you? What do you remember? We uh, always love getting that kind of feedback. But until next time, we will see you.